The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joe Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 7200. That's 72000 and download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. Like many senior executives, do you wonder how you're going to exit the business that you're in? How are you going to get off the treadmill that you're on? How are you ever going to retire and enjoy the life that you've built with the business that you've built? To answer that question, Barry Banther. Barry, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Joel. And let me say right off the bat how much I appreciate you. I've learned so much from you. Follow the money, obviously. And when everyone's over here, what's happening is actually over there. So thank you so much for what you've done for so many of us. Well, good. Well, listen, uh, you've been uh, you've been a great role model to me. So thank you very much. That's awesome. So um, you are really prolifically uh, an expert in family businesses and helping companies, multi-generational businesses to solve problems. And, you know, part of it is your Southern charm. Boy, you got a lot of that Southern <laughs> charm going. <laughs> um, I don't know what to say. I kind of bring more like, uh, you know, uh, Wall Street brawn and you bring Southern charm. I don't know. They're different <laughs> things. But what are some of the big issues that you see in closely held businesses, family businesses? We're talking about decent sized operations here. Right. So what do you see? Here's the biggest issue. We'll get a call in our office and the caller says, look, we're thinking about selling the business to our son or we're thinking about selling the business altogether. We'd like to exit and we understand you can help us. Our first question is, what is your timeline? Tragically, so much of the time they'll say, well, we're thinking 90 days, six months at the most. And usually we have to say, I'm sorry, we have to pass because you, you can't possibly prepare your business for a profitable exit in that amount of time. So the key thing that I would encourage every listener of your podcast to think about, you want to think about your exit strategy the day you start your business. Now, that's a bit of hyperbole. You may be 10, 15, 20 years into owning your business. You want to start thinking about the exit strategy now. Here's the good news. There have never been more ways to exit than there are today. You can exit by selling to employees. You can exit by selling it to your family. You can exit by selling to a competitor. You can exit by going with an equity firm. But all of those 
to maximize the return on your investment in your years of hard work require time to work out several things that are necessary to get the highest value for the business. So the number one thing is you need to start right now, even if you think it's a decade away. I, I have one client I've been working with for 24 years. They still aren't at the place where the sales about to happen, but we've been doing everything to prepare for it. And as a result, they're going to maximize the return. And here's another important point, Joel, they're going to minimize their tax exposure because they started years ago when the company had less of a market value, getting the stock dispersed throughout the family. So now when the sale comes, uh, it's going to be a much easier tax burden to bear. So the key, get started planning the exit strategy today. You know, I'll tell you, as a professional investor, somebody who invests in these kinds of deals, uh, if somebody said uh, three to six months, I would know that it's a fire sale. Right. The thing is, uh, the unspoken body language of that discussion is mm-hmm. that there is something wrong. Somebody's ill. So there, there's no succession plan. There's no. Right. There's something wrong with this company, and I'm going to get a sweetheart deal. Mm-hmm. You're exactly so. right. You're exactly right. Those are those are <laughs> your what you just described are how many people look to buy those, and sometimes those can be great deals for the buyer. Usually, not so good for the seller. Right. Exactly. So you're talking about advocating for the family and trying to you know, beef it up. So what are some of the things that happen in those, uh, in those preparations? And, and when you talk to companies, what are you talking about? A couple of years preparation time? I mean, I'm not talking about the, the set the goal 10 years in advance, but you really start refreshing the financial reports and really kind of putting things in order. How long, how long do you recommend? So, so let's kind of look through a timeline. So the very first thing I will do with the family is say, let's talk about your estate plan. Tell me about the estate plan you put together. You won't be surprised at this. Maybe some of our listeners will. Overwhelmingly over 30 years, the majority of families I've worked with, whether the business is worth 20 million or a half a billion, they've done very little with an estate plan. And so that's where we have to begin because we have to understand if this sale occurs, where is the cash going to go or where is the remaining stock going to go and are those people prepared? So it takes time with the estate plan. And as you know, If you take six months to put a a real strong estate plan together, then it's going to take time after that because you've got to keep refreshing it. One of my most interesting clients, I won't name the city, but and I'll make them anonymous. I was recommended to them by an estate attorney. Uh, The gentleman had sold his business for $300 million net. That's what he netted. And when I met with him, I said, how do you think I can help you? He said, I have five children by three wives. They're all living. I would pay a lot of money for everybody to get in one room for one day and get along. Well, with a little bit of tongue in cheek, I said, how much are you willing to pay and how long do I have? (laughs) (laughs) And and, and the good news is we did that, took about three years, but he significantly paid more tax than he needed to, had significant more family issues because we had so little time to prepare them and get through those discussions. So step one for any business to get prepared is your estate plan. If your children are still at home, the estate plan's important now. If your children are grown, the estate plan's important because inevitably inevitably what's going to happen, once you get your estate plan sort of positioned that you can now start guiding it and helping it to continue, other family members have to do the same thing. So that's step one. Then step two is preparing the business. Well, let's, so, let's, wait, wait, there's a lot here. So let's, okay. let's talk about one thing at a time. Uh, this estate plan, it surprises me how many people are not organized about this. And right. granted, it's a very unpleasant discussion. Uh, it's a hard discussion, uh, everything about it. But, uh, you know, my estate attorney, I mean, listen, we've got plans to the grandchildren that we don't even have yet. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, which is what these guys do is they, they plan you so that the money you know, trickles down and, you know, in, mm-hmm. in ways that are protected. But the most important thing is this thing that my estate attorney called, uh, inadvertent disinheritance. Have you heard oh, about yes. this? Oh yes. Yes. Oh, it's, it's, this, this is one of the worst things that you could ever uh, have happened. Have you ever seen that happen? I don't think I've ever seen it happen, but obviously it gets discussed a great deal. If I thought about it over 30 years, I may have. I just, I didn't, I can't recall one right I, now. I get, I get, let's tell everybody what it is real quick. It just, let's say that uh, you've got a business and, uh, you know, and you die and your your spouse gets the money and, and now your spouse, of course, should leave the money to the children, but the spouse remarries, uh, you know, then the spouse died, the original spouse dies, that new husband or wife gets the money. It's probably going to keep everything and give it to their children. And the original children of the person who started the business end up with nothing. So So a whole other family that you didn't expect ends up taking everything. So I can give you two examples. You stirred my memory. I had one a few years ago. Father had built a business and brought one son in to be the president, one son in to be the vice president of sales. Father reached his mid seventies, still running the business. Uh, decided he was going to divorce their mother of 50 years and marry a 23-year-old cocktail waitress. Obviously, they stood by their mother and tried to get him not to do it. He did it anyway. <laughs> he married He married the cocktail waitress. And about six weeks after they married, he died of a sudden onslaught of terminal cancer. At the last minute, he changed his estate plan. He left one son 49% of the business, the other son 49% of the business, and this now 23-year-old cocktail waitress 2% and said to his sons, Whoever makes her happy runs the business because she's the other 2% that need to be at 51%. So in that situation, we calculated what that would be worth. Uh, I went to the place where she works, waited for a shift to end. I had a check and a release in my pocket, more money than she'd ever seen. Slide the check across the table and say, look, this can be yours. Check's not good right now. If you go to your attorney tomorrow, sign this release, and then that check will be good day after tomorrow, and it's yours, and everything's done. If you don't sign it, then I can assure you, your two partners are going to work very hard to make sure you never see any of the money. So that's the closest I've come. I did have one that I came in after the fact where a father left the business to his two sons, 50-50. At the funeral, a third brother they never knew they had showed up. <laughs> and, and he had with him a manila folder, had a letter from their dad that, yes, this is your brother, had a birth certificate. He had been the birth of, a, of an employee. They kept it quiet but he promised that third son that one day you'll be able to step in there with your brothers with that one. What he, all he really wanted was a job. So we worked that out. So you're exactly right that you can do this disinheritance, especially in the kind of world we live in today. So you really got to pay attention to it. Well, you know, it just, people don't understand the implications of the estate planning process. So mm-hmm. um, first thing I would, I would say, I echo what you said, and that is, you know, get your ducks in a row because it is really if you don't have this stuff in a row, you can really, your life's work, which you want to go to your family, can go to some other people that you don't even know who they are. Right. And it happens accidentally. Right. Uh, you, need, you, you, need a, you need a strong buy-sell agreement. You need an agreement that the stock or the ownership can only pass to the bloodline. A good estate attorney will walk you through all the ways, as you just said, to mitigate against that. Yeah. You know, and it, it's, it's not terribly expensive. It is painful. It's a painful mm. thing to think about, but it's irresponsible uh, when you get to a certain age, not to think about these things. Mm-hmm. So, That's right. all right. So step one, that you would counsel the family to think about their estate planning. What's the next thing you would tell them to work on is they're so, going to plan to so act- Step two, build your senior leadership team as though you were going to sell it to them. You may not, and you're not going to tell them that's what you're thinking. 
Here's what I mean by that. So let's suppose you, you've been the CEO, you've been running the business every day. You really only wanted people that were kind of com compliant would do what you wanted behind you. Now you're ready to sell the business. A prospective owner is going to look at this and say, when you walk out, I've got a problem. There's nobody to run the business. So prepare your C-suite or prepare the people that report directly to you as though you were going to sell it to them, that you were going to trust them over the years to pay you for the business. If you do that, you've, you've insured yourself for a couple of very good outcomes. Here's outcome number one. If you decide to sell it to someone else who's going to own it and not run it, you've got the team to run it in place. They're going to pay you more money because they're, they're confident when you step out, Paul, you'll be missed and you may have an earn out for a short period of time. The business will continue to thrive. Or if you choose not to sell it to someone on the outside, you can then turn to those employees and say, let's do a modified buyout agreement. I'm going to sell the business to you, which provides you with an annuity over many, many years as they pay for the business. Or thirdly, if you go with an equity group, the number one thing they're going to be looking for is there's someone internally that can run this business. And more importantly for the equity group, is there a person running the business that in three years or five years will be the lead in us selling it to the next equity group and they're buying that person as the leader. So step number two, prepare your internal leadership team as though you were going to sell it to them because that's going to work better for you regardless of which exit strategy you choose. So, uh, you know, I mean, what, what occurs to me is that the, uh, the person that owns the business has to be prepared to step away because ultimately whoever the buyer is wants that person to step away, right. maybe not immediately, but eventually. So right. when you talk about getting your senior management team ready, is that kind of what it is, is to kind of operate without you? Yeah, the, most businesses have three needs at the C-suite level. There needs to be someone with CFO capability that they really understand the finances. There needs to be someone with operational capability, the nuts and bolts of if it's a distribution business, what time do the trucks get loaded? How do they get out? Who are our vendors? Who are our customers? And then number three, somebody who understands sales and marketing. In an ideal scenario, I want a, a family business to develop all three. But if you can't develop all three for a variety of reasons, at least two people, one of which may be sales and marketing and operations, and the other one will be primarily or excuse me, would one would be finances and sales and marketing or finance and operations or sales and marketing and operations. But that's more difficult to do. You, typically what I hear from an owner is this. Well, if I have three people in each of those distinct roles, you know what that's going to cost me? Well, you have to look at it as an investment because when you're ready to exit, if you sell it to them, or sell it to somebody on the outside or partner with an equity firm, you're going to get that return back. If you don't have those people in place, you're not going to get the price you want for the business and you're going to make, make it very difficult for it to succeed. Well, what, you, what, what I hear you bringing up is the short-term versus the long-term thinking. Right. You right. know, listen, uh, what a lot of people do, they use their uh, privately held business as a piggy bank. Uh, they drain out all the, uh, all the cash out of the business and then they go uh, to show it to a, to a bank or a, to a buyer and the business doesn't make any money and, and they end up getting uh, that multiple times a small number. Right. So that's part to me, part of why you, you start three years in advance is you start remodeling your financials, take all your personal stuff or whatever you put through your business and make it like General Motors would run their company. And that's and what I that, that's what I do for the equity group I work with. I go in, they're looking at a company. They'll say, well, we've got one of our colleagues, Barry Banther is going to come in and he'll take a look. I don't tell the owner, but what I'm looking for is. Do they have that person in operations, that person in sales? Do they have that person in, as a CFO? Have they done estate planning? You know, have they done good planning with their property, with their vendors, et cetera? And many times I have to go back to the equity group and say, all right, here's the deal. They've done nothing. We got a lot of cleanup to do. 
uh, it's going to cost X to do that cleanup because we're going to have to bring some people in. They then, when they sit down with the owner to negotiate the price, the owner may have been thinking, I'm going to get 20 million for this business. And he may be told you're going to get 10 because it's just not prepared on the inside to do it. So you're exactly right. You, you need to, the short term thinking won't work for you in the long run. Now, if you plan to work in the business till the day you die and you don't care what happens, then that's your choice. But if you expect it to transition at all as a sale event, which creates wealth, you have to number two, make sure you've covered sales operations, our sales and marketing operations and finance. And you've got good people inside that can do that. That's step number two. You know, the problem though, is, you know, the, uh, the best laid plans don't materialize the way you think. Sure. I mean, unfortunately, that's just the way the world works. You think you're going to work till the day you die, uh, you know, and you disappear 20 years early or something makes you unable to work. And then your family is left with all these problems. It's just purely irresponsible to leave these people uh, who you care about with burdens that they didn't ask for. I have a client like that right now. He's 62 years old, very good business. Uh, literally within months developed the sudden onslaught of dementia. And uh, it, it's been painful, painful for the employees. Uh, I'm not sure we're going to make our way through it because the competitors, uh, with respect to him and they knew him well, they've leaped on it hard and they're selling hard against it. They're, they're, going, they're calling on their accounts saying, look, you need to consider switching over to us because company you've been dealing with, you've probably heard the owner's sick. He's, he's no longer capable. They don't have a plan. His wife's going to step in. She's never run the business. You, you can't risk your supply chain to that. So you're exactly right. Even if you plan to work till the day you die, it makes sense to prepare it that it's ready to be be dis, uh, disposed of profitably tomorrow. That's always a better Listen, plan. You, to you have. gotta have some kind of a plan that you can activate, you know, on mm-hmm. on, on relatively short notice. And that's mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I guess and, and you know the funny thing about this, it's not only about the size of the business. I mean, there could be three or four hundred million dollar businesses that are just not well organized because they think about them in a family way. They don't think about them in a corporate way. Right. So what, what's the difference between corporate thinking and family thinking? So in, in corporate thinking, uh, they're looking for one key metric, and that's the return on the investment. The family is looking for family harmony, I suppose. We'll get a call in our office, and they'll say, we understand you do succession planning. And my staff tongue-in-cheek will respond and say, well, unless you're calling from London, that doesn't work. Um, and, and so then, then what I say to, in fact, even, even that family's having trouble. That's right. That's right. So, 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 so here's what I say to an owner that calls me, I tell him, let's meet. And there's no, there's no risk on your part. I'm not, you're not paying a fee. I, I don't know that I'm the right fit. I'll give you a proposal later if I think I am. And I try to help them see that the best thing you can do for your children is success planning. If you've got three kids, let's determine what do they have the greatest potential to succeed at? And can you support them in that? The worst thing that you can do is force them into the business that just builds resentment with you and resentment between them. So in a family-owned business, you can play three roles. You can be an employee, you can be a manager or leader, and you can be an owner. You might work your way to all three, or you may only be an owner. I had a client uh, that we, the grandfather hired us along with his son to bring the grandson into the business. He was only in his 20s. We brought him to where we are in Florida so that we could work with him in, a, in another firm, a comparable family business. He did that for a couple of years. We sent him back to where he was from. He's ready to go to step in and learn the business. Within nine months, his grandfather and his father both died of separate cancers. Uh, it's about a $100 million business at the time. So I had to sit with him and explain, we don't have time for you to learn how to run the business, but I can teach you how to own the business. 
And that's the third part I was about to talk about a moment ago. We established a board of directors, got some very good people within the community who understood business, as well as other people that had an interest in the family. We developed a board of directors, hired a president, business has doubled in size. Our client is now an owner. He understands that, but he can't step in and be an employer or manager. So here's the difference. You want to always be thinking about how do we maximize the return on the investment, fit the family members in where that naturally will work, but don't fit them in where it won't. And so sometimes a father will say, well, I've got three kids. I wanted them all to share in it. Let them all share in ownership. Let them each own 10%. But these two are going to get 10% plus their salary, plus their bonus, plus their incentive because they're going to be working. And that way you're being equitable with the place where they all three are. But to the two that are working in the business, it's different. So again, you've hit it on the head. You need to have a corporate mentality, not a family mentality. Well, I think that merits repeating that um, I'm a big fan. You pay people for what they do. So if you're an owner, you get paid as an owner. If you work there, you get paid for working there. And so if somebody says, well, I don't want to work there. Well, I just want to get paid as, a, as an owner. Fine. Uh, I'm not going to get paid as an employee. Fine. No problem at all. You know, and, right. that's, and that's exactly that is really important to uh, differentiate and then there's no hard feelings, you know, and, uh, you know, everybody owns whatever percent they own and everybody, uh, you know, gets compensation for whatever work they do. And that goes if, you want, if, if you want to sabotage your business, not only to your family, but to anybody, pay them more than the job demands, more than the job can be. That, that's sabotage. That never works out. No one's going to come to you a decade later and say, you know, dad, you've overpaid me for 10 years because you love me and I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to work harder. It doesn't work that way. Uh, no. The job, the job. And, and so the, the last thing I wanted to suggest was that I just mentioned was setting up a board of directors. And one of the things that I, when I'm working with setting up a board of directors, I serve on several family business board of directors and we're the, advi we're the advisor to many others. So a point I make to them is we need a compensation committee that no family members on from within the board. And they're going to review the family's compensation to make sure we don't cross over on this line. If you're the owner and you want to give your kids a cash gift at Christmas, that's up to you. Do not tie it to the business. That's sabotage. Yeah. You know, let's, there's a couple of issues uh, that come up here. Uh, I am personally not a fan of nepotism. I, I think nepotism is a really dangerous thing. It, it damages the culture for other people, you know, it, it and then it also damages the self-worth of the child being brought into the business or the cousin or the nephew, or whoever the person is. I, I just always think, and you got to be very careful that you don't let your own success damage the potential of someone else, especially somebody you love like, like one of your kids. And you got to really be careful about that. So uh, you must see that all the time and you must counsel people all the time on this. Oh, we certainly do. Uh, our advice is under any circumstances, let's say they've worked in the family business in high school and college, but after college, they need to go somewhere for five years and work somewhere else. Uh, that's what I did. My older son is a managing partner of one of our consulting firms. He has his own firm now. He, he got a master's degree, worked somewhere else before he ever came back, and then he had to earn partner status when he came back. It's, it's a mistake for them not to work somewhere else. That's number one. And then number two, uh, make certain that they're stepping into the position because they're the best person for the job, not because they're a family member. And when I have families sitting together and we're working through this, almost to that exception, the, the son, daughter, nieces, or nephews, they're quick to say, look, I, I don't really want to work in the business anyway. And so maybe dad helps them start their own business. But when you said a moment ago, you're not a fan of nepotism, that's wise, Joel, because the majority of the time, Pure nepotism not only doesn't work, sabotages the business. Yeah, it. A lot of young people they they don't develop a sense of worth. 
mm-hmm. uh, the way that, you know, is really healthy for an adult. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're 25, it seems really cool to get a really cool job and a bunch of money. But when you're 40, you look at your life and you say, gee, I wonder, I wonder if I'm really any good or not. Mm-hmm. You know, I wonder, you know, gee, did, like, I, I know how I am. I mean, I, I, you know how you are, you, you've done mm-hmm. it. We've done it by ourselves. But if somebody that got put somewhere, and that's why, you know, what you're doing with your kids, I said the same thing to my kids. I said, listen, uh, if you want to work with me, that's great. Go work for somebody else and bring value to me, mm-hmm. you know, like everybody else that we hire does. And when right. you do that, then we can really have a, uh, a discussion about how you can be valuable. And then we can defend, right. uh, you know, whatever position you have. And we can say, uh, well, look, you know, he's built whatever he's done, whatever he knows the certain skills or whatever the person is, son or daughter and how it works. And just seems like it'd be better. You're exactly right. You're exactly all right. right. So, so let's get back. Let's, so we're talking about the exit. This is all kind of planning for the exit. Mm-hmm. What are some of the real possibilities? What are some of the exit possibilities that you've seen? So today I've, we're at a time today, more so than ever before, when there's a lot of equity money out there, equity firms with hundreds of millions of dollars, billions private, of private dollars. equity, private equity. Yeah. And they want to invest that in a company that if they had more capital for growth, they could grow. And so that's that's a real key way that just about any business should be looking at because there are businesses today all along the spectrum who are good candidates for that kind of that kind of partner with an equity partner. Then the second way that that is popular today, I'm not a fan of ESOPs. I've seen more of those. I have some clients who've done it. But the second way is to sell it to your leaders of your company. So if you've got three or four really good leaders working with your attorney, you can do what's often referred to as a modified buyout plan where they're going to buy it from you over time. And and so let's say the business is worth 20 million and they're going to buy it from you over 10 or 15 years. They're going to pay more than the 20 million for it, or you're going to hold back on some of it. And, and it gives you a chance to chair the board of directors perhaps, or be on the board, but they're running and growing the business. And, and you're going to get paid a, an incentive. I've got one right now where he's going to get an incentive on the growth in the business. So the second way is to sell it to your employees. Third way is to get a business broker. And that's, to me, that's the least desirable. Uh, before I did that, I would look towards selling with my competitors because chances are very good. If you're in a, if you're in a B2B business, if you're, or even if you're in B2C, but certainly if you're in B2B, you've got competitors who want to grow by acquisition. So I would look at an equity buyout. I'd look at selling on a modified plan internally, or I would look at selling to a competitor. Selling through a business broker or an investment banker, I, that, that's a pretty traditional, well-understood thing. Let's talk about the equity uh, transactions because uh, I'm in, I've been in private equity yeah. for 30 years. I mean, that's been my business. Venture capital, mm-hmm. hedge fund, that, that's all private equity. Anything that's not stock right. market is private equity. So uh, what are you seeing? I mean, I've got a strong opinion about this and let's have some discussion. about. So it. what I'm seeing is, first of all, you've got to really vet the firm you're working with. So, let, so let's suppose I had a client who said, I've been approached by a private equity firm. I would say, well, a couple of questions we want to ask them. First of all, we want to talk with, uh, with a company that you have purchased and taken all the way to the next sale. We want to talk with them and see what their experience was like. That would be very important. Number two, I would, in talking to that equity firm, I would say, we want to be very clear how are you going to compose the board of directors? Who's going to chair the board of directors? How will we do financially reporting up to you? And what, if any, will be our P&L responsibility? So you really got to do your due diligence on that part. And then, then thirdly, and the third part of this is, is really having a discussion with them. And this is really the negotiation on what piece are you going to hold on to? Uh, if, you, if it's a really good equity firm and you feel really good about them and they've got a great track record and they really want your company, 
I would probably advise my client if he doesn't need all the cash now, you know, either don't sell them the full 75% or get more options that you can implement later on as you stay in and help grow the business. The great thing about an equity, working with an equity partner, you get the capital to invest to grow without that being your risk, your responsibility, but you get a payout when it sells again. And it's kind of like a cherry on top of the Sunday. So I, I think that works, but you've got to have the right equity firm to do that. I had one client, we walked through three firms before we settled on the one we we're going to work with. And again, talk to somebody they've carried all the way to the next sale, really get down in the weeds about how are you going to manage this? What authority will we have? What will be the P&L responsibility? Those kind of issues. You know, you also have to understand what their strategy is and what they're buying you for. In other words, uh, and, and maybe the investment banker understands this, and that's part of uh, part of the deal here. But uh, are they doing a roll up? Are they trying to acquire all the firms in a certain industry? Uh, do they just randomly make investments right. and they're just building a portfolio? I mean, is, are there themes involved in their portfolio? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. and then kind of what I heard you say was that uh, you were kind of talking about assuming that you stay in the deal. A lot of times, they just want to cash out and and take the thing to themselves. Right. And if they want if they want to cash you out and that's what you want to do and you can get the right price, that that's wonderful. Uh, I'm seeing more and more deals where they want you to stay in because they want it's tough today to find people to run these businesses. Now, if they're in a roll up and they they bought three companies you don't know about and they've got the leadership strength to step in and run your business, that's a different story. But there's not as much talent walking around. So if you've got good talent, if you've got really good talent that can run your business, whether you're there or not, you're going to get a bigger multiple for the business. Yeah. You know, um, so let's say that, uh, you know, a private equity firm comes along and says, uh, you can stay in, you can keep a percentage, we'll buy 50, 60, 70% of your company, we'll put in some cash, whatever, uh, that's cash that the owner would take off the table. Uh, how do those relationships go? I mean, you've got a, a little bit of imbalance because you have this company that is, uh, they're, they're professional investors. They're backed up by professional uh, services, attorneys, accountants, and, and armies of people. Uh, you know, how, how do you see those deals working? Pretty good or So, so here, here's where they're working the best. When the equity firm, no matter who's providing the fund, let's say it's a $20 million buyout and $15 million is coming from institutional investors or someone else that's making up the portfolio. But the board, but the board that you're going to work with is made up of three or four guys who've all run very successful businesses, maybe maybe in your same space, and they're putting a million each into this. So now if I've got a board that's made up of guys that I can really relate to, they understand business, maybe they understand my business, then that, that that's something I'm looking for. And that works really well. What doesn't work well is they put the money in and they give you very little support on the growth side, either through the investment or even through the advice. So again, that, that comes back to my point. I want to find out who you're going to put on the board. What's Who are these people? What's their capacity to really help me grow this business? So it's working better today because we just have so much cash available. There's so much money to be placed in. And there are a lot of these, kind of what you said earlier about you know, the mid-level companies, I'm seeing a lot of investment opportunity, equity opportunity between 20 million and say a half a billion. There's a lot of money in that space. And these are usually people who are very good managers. They know how to step in and help a business grow. And they've got a fund behind them to do that. But now how long that's going to last, I don't know. My hunch is we've probably got at least another three to five years of that kind of opportunity. Before you know, I've seen I've up. seen uh, in the last some years two situations where this exact thing happened, uh, where you're talking about where the owner sold it, sold uh, you know either some or all. Let's see, here, here's one where they sold some, uh, they sold all, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an outfit in Southern California started here. I think it's in Santa Barbara or somewhere in the uh, 70s or 80s called Kinko's. It was a copy store. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, a very famous copy store here in, on the West Coast. And uh, a private equity firm came and bought the guy out after, you know, many years, probably 20, 25 years for $250 million. Two years later, they sold the same company to FedEx for $2.5 billion, 10 times. So if the guy had stayed in, uh, you know, the, the power that the private equity firm brings, uh, you know, they have the ability to create a lot of lift. I saw the same thing. There was a deal with uh, Guitar Center. They got sold to a private equity outfit, and then they got sold later uh, uh, to another one for, you know, for some enormously higher price. So, I mean, the same thing. I mean, the, it, when, a, when, a, when a private equity firm comes in, they have the ability to create lift that entrepreneurs don't have. So uh, it's probably a strategy worth considering. It is. I say it to every owner I work with when they have an equity group looking at them and they say, they're not willing to pay me what the business is worth. I say to them, they're not buying you for what this business is worth today. They're buying you for what they have determined it can be worth in five years. Do you want to be part of that? Let's have an honest discussion with them. So don't get your feelings hurt that they're not giving you the price. They're not buying it today to simply gut the company and take what, what revenue you have. They're buying it because they're going to invest a whole lot more money because in five years they're going to sell it. And if you want to be part of that, you say, there's something I hear you say all the time, Joel, we got to be on the same side of the table. So when you're talking to that equity firm, get on their side of the table, find out where they're coming from and ask yourself, do I, do I want to be a partner to this? Well, listen, you got to understand there's a lot of different kinds of equity firms. There's, oh, well, uh, yeah. there's the role yeah. of guys. There are guys that are going to buy your business and they're going to carve it up like a garage sale. I mean, right. that, there are guys that do that. There are guys that are, that are building to resell it to somebody else. So there's lots of different strategies that these companies have. And by the way, back to what we talked about a little while ago, we were talking about you know hiring a, a broker or investment banker. You still need an investment banker involved in these oh, transactions. Yes. Um, yes. You know, even if you're not going to sell it outright, because the investment banker's got the contacts with the private equity outfits that are going to be coming to the table. And then they create an auction process or they create some kind of a bidding process so that you get the best price that you can get. And that's kind of the niche I've carved out with my clients. I'm not an investment banker and I may be a, I may be an, a, 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 a very limited partner in one of the equity investments, but my role, and this I've seen this role grow today with other people that do it. My role is to partner with you, Mr. Company owner, and help you understand what's happening here and help you be able to communicate with the investment banker and communicate with the partner. And what's happened with me in the last 10 years, I now have investment bankers who will say to a client they're working with, we want to introduce you to Barry. Barry can help you understand, and he's not going to be the major player here. He's not the one driving the fund, but he can help you understand it. And that's become a little niche for him. Well, not only that, uh, I think it would be in the investment banker's interest to have a guy like you yes. come up front, because if you get involved three years in advance right. and the company's serious, you, know, you can take the company's value from uh, from 100 to 200 just by getting them ready, right. you know, by reorganizing the financials, uh, professionalizing their board, professionalizing their senior management team, and so forth. You're exactly exactly right. And one last thing that I'm seeing, and and I'm saying this with respect, and please put it, it, I'm going to make sure I say this correctly. This is your world. I'm seeing CPAs who are not giving their clients good advice. I'm, I'm not a CPA. I don't claim to be. But I'm, I'm, what I have found is I've, I've partnered with some really good national CPA firms, and I've been able to convince a client, you know, with great respect to who you're using, at least talk to these people, because there's some things you're doing that, that don't make any sense. And I'm, I think there's pressure on the, 
smaller CPA firms, they've really got to level up in terms of understanding everything that's happening today. They're great. Well, I'll, on tell, the I'll, tell, I'll tell you what, what drives that, uh, you know, and I, I came from the CPA business, but I right. haven't been in the business in 30 years. But what drives that is that attorneys are very, very good at knowing when to say no. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a, this kind of attorney and this is the work that I do because they understand the liability of, of stepping over the line. CPAs, they say yes to almost everything. If you'll mm-hmm. pay me money, I can do it if it's related to money. But that just is not true because right. uh, they, they all call themselves business advisors. But business advisors, what you're talking about is a business advice. And what they do is not close, not even right. close at all. And so uh, they frequently, uh, you know, don't have the expertise that they need. And they're not that great at making referrals either. They need to be better at making referrals and they need to get better at knowing where their box is and what they're great at and what they're not. Mm -hmm. Uh, Instead of being dissatisfied with your box, then learn how to be better at a box that you like and don't, you know, fool around too much. So that's that's, that's a pet peeve of mine. You kind of hit on it right there. Good, good. Well, listen, Barry, any suggestions for somebody who's thinking about making these kinds of uh, moves with their business? Well, I think they need to take a look at uh, the strength of their inside team. They definitely need to be considering putting together at least a board of advisors, if not a board of directors. And then they need to be thinking about making sure they've got all their estate plans, their wills all start there. Start with those three things. So when you get close to the moment when you're ready to seek a buyer or an equity firm's reached out to you or a competitor has, you can devote your time to that and not scrambling trying to put all the other pieces together. Well, listen, and that's the inside track, and that's how you profit from the inside on the whole concept of uh, getting ready to maximize the opportunity you have as you as you exit your business. The best, fastest, smartest way to make it happen. Right. So, Barry, thank you very much thank for, you, Joe. Uh, for being on the show, for sharing your wisdom, and for, for your friendship because you're, uh, you're just a, a wonderful guy. I consider you a great friend. Thanks, Joel. See you soon. Thanks, Barry. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a giant thanks to my podcast producer, David Wolf, and his team at Podcast and Radio Networks. Profit from the inside simply wouldn't be what it is without David and his team. For more information or to learn how you can launch and produce your own podcast, reach out to podcastandradio.com. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joel Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 72000. That's 72000 and download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.